This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Normally I would say it's Monday, the first day of the week, but that was yesterday, a holiday. I hope you had a great holiday. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is a live edition of The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, all you need to do is to call 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Numerically, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Let's get right to questions. Here's the first one from Alfred. He says, what is the best way to grow in faith actually walking with God? Alfred, there's no quick way, but there is a certain way. And by that I mean you've got to give God a chance to show you how powerful he is, how good he is how much he loves you, how much you can depend on him, how trustworthy he is. You know, it's not like us as humans just to trust someone that we don't know that well, even if intellectually we know it's God. Uh, but you've got to give him a chance. And what that means is you've got to walk by faith. You've got to take some risks and you've got to put yourself out there. And the problem with that, of course, is twofold. One, there's a lot of spiritual uh, warfare that goes on when you're walking in faith. And secondly, it's contrary to our natural instincts. Of all the walks, the steps of faith that God has asked me to take, I can tell you honestly that I don't remember a single one, and I'm now going on 32 years as a believer. Um, I don't remember a single one that made sense. There wasn't a single step of faith that I could see, okay, well, I'll do this and God will do this. There's not a single one. I had to trust the Lord explicitly. And what's happened, Alfred, in my own walk is that I've gotten to the point where God has done all these crazy things and he's done them for so long and so faithfully that for me now, saying no makes no sense at all. It's just like the dumbest thing I could do because God just is faithful. The problem is we've got to let God give us that opportunity and too often we stop short of that. If it doesn't make sense, um, we, we uh, take matters into our own hands. 
Uh, we do what we want to do instead of what God wants to do. So the best way and the certain way to grow in faith is just to walk with Jesus. I tell you all the time, just be with Jesus. Well, Alfred, the way you're just with Jesus, you got to walk by faith. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, Paul writes that we're to find out what pleases the Lord. So obviously that means it has to, it has to include faith. And so conversely, when we're walking by faith, God is pleased. And he does these amazing things. Now, people may say it's dumb. People may say it makes no sense. I've got a young woman in my church now, young, younger than me. She's not a, a she's a full adult. But, but um, um, God has been asking her to take this huge, crazy step of faith. And even as she told me about it, I'm shaking my head and thinking, well, that, that can't be the Lord. But she's convinced me it is. And God continues to reinforce that. And it won't be too awful long, I think, when when this uh, woman is is um, doing something and people will be talking, why would she do that? It doesn't make any sense. But she's convinced me. And that's the safe place to be. So, Alfred, that's the only way to grow in faith. You've got to let God have his way. And that means you're going to do some stuff that doesn't make any sense. You're going to do some stuff that absolutely terrifies you. And then you're going to see the grace of God poured out in your life over and over and over. And then pretty soon you just won't even question anymore. One other comment. When we are taking these steps of faith, we so stress out over, well, how do I know it's really God? Or how do I know that it's right? And I want to say this, and I hope everybody gets this. You don't have to be right if your heart is right with God. I've taken lots of steps of faith that I believe were from the Lord. Nobody's perfect. We can't have perfect discernment. I thought they were from the Lord. And because my heart was right with God and because I wanted to do that which pleased him, I'd take these steps of faith only to have God stop me because they weren't really from him at all. And I love that. I love that it doesn't depend on me. And too often we take the approach that we have to be right or making the right choice depends on us or we've got to provide for our family. Those are things that we need to do to walk by faith. Thank you for the question. Let's go. I've got three holding on the line. Please, all of you, be patient. we got Jimmy on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, you're on the air. Hello, sir. Can you hear me? I can hear you fine, Jimmy. Um, I know that the Bible says that we're all going to be judged, right? First comes death and then comes judgment. But mm -hmm. are there going to be two judgments for the non-believers and then there's going to be judgment for the believers? Yes. Completely different so, judgments. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about the judgment of believers. Now, Jimmy, we know that unbelievers are going to be judged uh, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, they're going to be judged based on what they did, and because everyone sins and everyone falls short of the glory of God, they're going to be consigned to an eternity in hell. Believers, the issue of our salvation has already been resolved. So what we're going to be judged for is our works as a Christian. And when I say we're judged for our works, we're going to, those works are going to be judged for whether they're good bringing honor and glory to God, or good for nothing, our motive was wrong, uh, our heart was wrong, whatever it is. But these are judgments for rewards. So we're either going to receive or lose rewards 
at the Bema seat. It's B-E-M-A in, in, in Greek. And it's, it's sort of like uh, when you look at an Olympian um, medal ceremony and you'll see them standing on these things. They all get a, a medal. Well, that's kind of going to be what the Bema seat judgment is going to be for believers. But remember, this has nothing to do with salvation. This has only to do with our rewards in heaven, crowns of righteousness, crowns of life. Uh, and uh, if we've done the right thing with the right heart, we will receive crowns. Um, even if we stepped out in faith, as I said a moment ago, and, and did the wrong thing, but we did it with the right heart, we'll receive rewards for that. So two completely separate judgments, believer and unbeliever. that answer your question? Yes, sir. Thank you. My pleasure, Jimmy. God bless you. Let's go to Ray on line two from San Antonio. Ray, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. Good to hear from you, Ray. I'm glad you're on. <laughs> um, the, kind of, kind of uh, sidelines with your first uh, answer there. I, I was uh, puzzled about uh, Jesus had taken more abuse or whatever we could express it. I don't know how we could give it give it uh, adequate. Uh, expression but uh who do you think would uh, would have uh, been second in in that line of abuse and i i was thinking well job had had a, a <laughs> an Im- immense amount of problem and uh uh you know what what was the point of that other than to uh sort of uh, rub Satan's nose in it uh, that, you know, <laughs> you're not the one. <laughs> I'm yeah. the one, and uh, I, I just I just wondered if you'd ever pondered that, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I know there was more to it, but I'll, I'll get off because I think you have another one in yeah. in line. Yeah, so thank you, Ray. If That's you it. have any, anything to... Uh, I got it, Ray. Make thank it you. clear. That would I, be great. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Ray. And, you know, I have thought a lot about Job in particular. Um, you know, Job lost his children. He, he, he lost his wealth. He lost his reputation, at least as it, results to, as it res, uh, really refers to his friends. Um, he lost a lot. Um, but, but he wasn't the abuse he suffered was nothing compared to what Jesus suffered. Uh, Job, although a righteous man, wasn't perfect. Jesus was being punished for things that he didn't do. Now, Job with the boils and Job with the loss of his family, he suffered immensely, but it wasn't anything close. Jesus suffered to a greater degree, to an infinitely greater degree than anybody who, who has ever lived. I think of the Apostle Paul in this regard too, Ray. Uh, the Apostle Paul... Um, uh, read 2 Corinthians 12. He suffered so many things. And the thing that amazes me about Paul is he was shown those things before, before he said yes and stepped out in obedience to the Lord. And he still did it anyway. So, um, but, but even still, his suffering was nothing compared to the suffering of Jesus. And Paul would say, because he was the chief of sinners, his own words, he would say, I deserved everything I got. 
but he understood it wasn't punishment from God. Uh, Jesus took on the wrath of God, the full wrath of God. We can't even begin to imagine that, Ray, because of your sins and mine. And Ray, mine were a lot worse than yours. So, uh, yeah, Jesus' suffering uh, was um, inexplicable. Just we, we, we couldn't possibly understand it, uh, the depth of it. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Ray. It's really good to hear from you. Let's go now to Ruben on line three from Seguin. Ruben, my friend, thank you for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. It seems that there's a, a recurring theme today of, of suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you know my situation for the past 10 years. I I wouldn't call it suffering because, like like you said, Jesus suffered. Mm-hmm. Jesus, Jesus suffered. I think Job suffered more than I did, definitely mm-hmm. more than I did. Yeah, his didn't um, last as long as yours, Reuben. Job, yeah, Job's yeah. suffering was about nine months, ten months in total. Uh, yours has been going on for ten years. Now, the loss yeah. of his family, that would stay with him for a very, very long time. But but you're right. He suffered horribly. He suffered, yeah. And and, and uh, bringing up suffering, I, I, uh, I dare not. I, I dare not, dare not. And I, I dare not... Uh, uh, compare myself to any of these people as I was reading today uh, I read the story of Hezekiah and when Isaiah came up to Hezekiah and told him <laughs> he was going to die and then he cried and the Lord heard him and he said I'm going to give you 15 more years and and, and I, I guess it got me thinking you know I said Lord you know not, not that I mean I see and I can't you can't reason with the Lord we want to reason with the Lord and <laughs> And and I'm like I'm not trying to say you know why am I going through all this, you know I know what I'm going through you know there's a reason there's a purpose you know, um, my dad just he just got put in the hospital over the weekend, mm. and now he's gonna go to a rehab in New Braunfels and and I'm you know I'm just gonna be staying I'm here alone now and I'm just like Lord I don't know what you're doing you're you're isolating me now and. And I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be isolated because the enemy will try to come and pounce. But I'm not. I'm, I'm trying to stay strong and t- trying to trying to just stay positive by reading the word and and praying and worshiping God. You know, which is a good thing. I'm reading uh, uh, Romans eight over and over and over for it to uh, just stay in me in my mind, like you said. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just asking God, you know, I said, Lord, I'm not asking to take, take it away. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just asking kind of like Hezekiah, you know, can I have something, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the Lord knows that there's something that I truly need. You know, I, I need a car, I need a car bad. And I, and it sounds like I'm reasoning with the Lord and I feel so guilty <laughs> for that because I'm like, Lord, if. If if I do this, can you do that? And and I don't want to say that, you know, you know. Yeah, but but, but Reuben, here's here something something never to forget. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, "With thanksgiving, we can make our requests known to God." So uh, wanting a car is a good thing, and and uh, as long as your heart is grateful and you're not complaining, um, you can ask God for those things. And and he'll make the decision. I mean, you'll end that prayer with, nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done, Lord. But he will 
um, uh, be able to, to, to determine the answer to that prayer. But don't feel bad about asking. Um, you know, you ask, you have not, James says, because you ask not or because you ask amiss or with the wrong motive. Uh, so you can ask for things without feeling any guilt at all. Um, God understands. So I think that's important. You know, Reuben, you are, uh, you're dealing with my next two Bible studies on Wednesday night. Uh, I'm in Second Kings chapters uh, 18 and then the following week, 19, uh, where uh, Hezekiah goes through uh, his ordeal. And when Isaiah, it's also Isaiah 45, I think he comes to him and, uh, and, and tells him that you're going to die. And he says, but I don't have an heir. And um, God tells Isaiah, who's already left, go back and tell him he's got 15 more years. And there's some great things that happened. Hezekiah was a giant of our faith. Uh, and yet, uh, when God gave him 15 more years, the results were mixed in terms of uh, the son that, that was born yeah. to him turned out to be the worst king probably in Judah's history. Um, uh, he got saved. I mean, he repented, and we'll, we'll see him in heaven. But but just we can't figure those things out. We just can't figure yeah. those things out. Yeah, so I appreciate it. That made me feel like makes me feel more at ease now um, to ask. But uh, that's what I just wanted to know. I yeah. I appreciate it, Pastor. My pleasure. Let me tell you one one other thing. I've got a guy uh, in our church, great guy uh, who who has volunteered. He said, anytime Reuben needs a ride to church, I'll come pick him up. He used to be a over-the-road truck driver. He loves driving. And he said, I can send him anywhere to pick to pick people up. And, and he would love to drive out and take you to church. If you get tired of being alone and you feel like the walls are closing in, we've always got somebody, Reuben, who, uh, who'd uh, come over and pick you up and bring you to church anytime you want to. Well, what do I have to do to... Uh, do I just be producers my number and and or do I call the church or no? Why don't you just just say, send your number to the questions at Calvary S A email address uh, CalvarySA.com, dot com and uh, okay. and and we'll have him contact you. I will do that. I'll do that right now. Bless your heart, Reuben. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Pastor. Uh huh. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is. A question from Jessica. She wants to know what is meant by cheap grace. Jessica, this is one of my favorite subjects. And the reason it is is because uh, when I first got saved, there were people all around me that were talking about cheap grace. Uh, it just happened to be in, the, in, in 1991, uh, one of the topics that was being hotly debated in the church. Uh, well, grace is grace. It's unmerited favor. So that means we don't have to do anything. And I was really, as a brand new believer, I was really struggling with this issue. And the Lord sort of sovereignly sovereignly, brought me to a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called The Cost of Discipleship. And Jessica changed my life. So what is meant by cheap grace is, hey, I'm saved. God says, all you have to do is believe and, and confess me with your mouth and believe in your heart. And and, uh, and then I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. If my sins are forgiven, then I can sin. I can live any way I want to, and I'm still going to be okay. That's what's meant by cheap grace. Now, obviously, Jessica, that is not at all um, God's idea of grace. Uh, grace poured out is unmerited favor given to us ought to result in literally the most grateful people on the face of the earth. 
whatever God does for me is a blessing because I deserve nothing. And the person who says, uh, well, because I'm saved and and, uh, once saved, always saved, and God gave me unmerited favor, well, then I can keep sinning. Uh, The Apostle Paul deals with that in the letter to the Romans specifically. Uh, He says, where uh, sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. And by that he means that there's greater grace than there is our capacity to sin. And then he answers, uh, asks a question uh, rhetorically, and he answers it. What shall we say then? Shall we keep on sinning? And then he says, by no means. That's the NIV. The King James here I like even better because he says, God forbid. And uh, no, as a result of being recipient of grace, then out of gratitude, we ought to be faithful and obedient. The Apostle John talks about uh, people that say they love God, but they continue to sin. He says they're liars and the truth isn't in them. And cheap grace, Jessica, is just a way to justify doing what our flesh wants to do. I can sin. I can figure out that, that uh, this is what some people believe, so I believe it and uh, and still feel good about myself like I'm going to go to heaven. Cheap grace is not biblical at all. Uh, grace costs God everything. And when we trample on the grace of God, and we do that by taking his grace for granted, when we trample on the grace of God, uh, then we are depending on cheap grace, which is really no grace at all. Wonderful question, Jessica. Thank you very, very much. By the way, that book was The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and that book changed my life. Uh, Not the best book I've ever read, but certainly in my own life personally, the most influential book that that I've ever read, and it happened at a a significant time in my walk with the Lord, uh, being brand new with all these questions, not having been raised in church. Uh, Before I got saved, I'd never even opened a Bible. Uh, I had no idea that there were people that would have these different views. So, um, Jessica, cheap grace is not at all um, biblical. Here's a question from Lynn. She says, is it necessary to be baptized to be saved? Lynn, the answer is no. Uh, It's not necessary to be baptized. We get baptized because we're saved. We get baptized to be obedient. Jesus said to be baptized. Uh, We're to teach others, making disciples, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But having said that, it's not an ingredient necessary to salvation. So, yes, we should be baptized, but uh, being baptized comes subsequent uh, to uh, being saved. The Spirit of God convicts you of sin and of righteousness and judgment. You come to the place where you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You surrender your heart to his. Um, Lord, thy will, not my will be done. You're now in control of this body. Uh, You're saved. That's what it means to be born again. The old is gone, the new has come. Baptism follows that. Baptism is like going to church. You know, you, you, you pull up outside a church, there's a lot of people walking in, and you would assume all those people are Christians. Not necessarily true. In fact, many of the people that go to church are not Christians. The same thing is true of baptism. Uh, I've seen a lot of people go into the waters of baptism. Uh, it turned out their heart was ugly, their heart was not surrendered to God, and being wet 
in that manner did nothing whatsoever to secure their place in heaven. Uh, God, you see, knows the heartland. In in, in um, Paul's letters, uh, in fact, I just did this Bible study this past Friday night uh, in Philippians chapter 3. He says, it is we who are circumcised in the heart that are saved. Judaizers were trying to convince him that well, you can be saved, but you you got to remain Jewish. And Paul was saying, no. In fact, we who are circumcised in heart. Now, baptism in the New Testament and circumcision in the Old Testament are basically the same thing. An outward symbol, a physical symbol that we belong to God. But if our heart doesn't belong to God, if our heartland doesn't belong to God, then it doesn't matter how wet we get in the waters of baptism. It's just uh, something that we do. It becomes nothing more than a religious ritual. And there is no value at all in religious rituals. So Lynn, not necessary to be baptized. Let me say before we sign off for this half of the program that every born-again believer ought to get baptized. I get so frustrated when people say, well, if you don't have to be baptized to be saved, then I'm not doing it. Why should I do it? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And it's just our way of saying, Lord, I love you. I love you. It's like being faithful to your wife or to your husband. You do it because you love them. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Michael. He says, hello, Pastor. I pray you and Mama Paula are doing well. Thank you, Michael. We are doing well. She's doing better than I am because she's beautiful. Here's this question. She says, I am saved, but my wife is a Jehovah's Witness. My brother-in-law is as well and may be getting married soon. What are your thoughts on if I should attend the wedding? Respectfully, Michael. Um, Michael, I'm sorry. You're in an unequally yoked marriage. That's always so painful. Um, And um, pray for your wife and show her who Jesus is and Hopefully the joy that you have in your life and the light that comes from you will eventually win her heart. But don't give up. You keep praying for her no matter what. Regarding the wedding, um, you know, weddings, marriage is an institution blessed by God, created by God and blessed by God. So, of course, you should go to the wedding. Um, You know, you're not um, celebrating uh, the fact that they're Jehovah's Witnesses. What you're celebrating is the fact that a, a man and a woman are getting married and they're putting their relationship in a place where God can bless it, the institutional blessing, not the individual blessing. Uh, and so, yes, you should go. You should be there to support your wife. You should be there um, to, to tell your, your brother-in-law congratulations and his soon-to-be wife. So all of that, I hope, is great. But, yeah, you should go and attend the wedding. Now, somebody's out there thinking, well, then, if... if 
God blesses marriage, why does Pastor Ron say that we shouldn't go to homosexual weddings? Well, the answer, I hope, is obvious. That's a relationship between a man and a man or a woman and a woman that is not blessed by God, period, cannot be blessed by God. Marriage is between a man and a woman, and as long as that relationship is between a man and a woman, yes, you should go, and then you welcome your new uh, sister-in-law into the family, and you've got a whole bunch of opportunities, Michael, to witness, to share the real Jesus with people who don't know him. And it's very, very important that you live your life in such a way. What did Jesus say? He said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, the problem, of course, with Jehovah's Witnesses is they think they're saved. They think they're really the only ones. Um, um, but we know they have the, the, their Jesus is not Jesus, the Son of God, who is God the Son. So thank you for the question, Michael. But go to the wedding by all means. You will regret it if you don't. Here is a question from, let me see if we got it here, Devin. Uh, Hello, Pastor On. As the year approached, I made a commitment to start studying the Old Testament. Can you you please explain to me Genesis 6-1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Who are these daughters? Are these fallen angels? If so, it appears to me that there should be more information on chapter 6. I'm laughing with you, Devin, not laughing at you, because I think everybody who's ever read that chapter, and especially the first few times they've read it, said the same thing. Come on, Lord, where's the information? So I know exactly how you feel. Uh, Are these fallen angels? Uh, What other resources available? Help me. Also, chapter 10 goes into the genealogy. Uh, It's not really a genealogy. It's more the table of nations. Uh, A friend sent me some information which is helpful in studying the different groups of each of them. Do you think it's okay to study resources outside the Bible? I just want to be knowledgeable and knowing studying the Word carefully. Please explain. Thank you, Devin. The Lord is going to so bless your heart with with all of this. Let me deal with the, the table of nations uh, and, and that which the, the genealogies and stuff. Uh, you don't need to go too deep. God includes those in the genealogies, in the table of nations, who are part of the story. And when I say part of the story, the story leading to Jesus Christ. So, uh, you know, you can spend a lot of time and there's a lot of information out there. And a lot of the information out there is really, really bad information. You're going to get people with agendas. And so be careful, be judicious and prayerfully decide uh, just how deeply you need to dig in to those genealogies. Let me Let me offer... Uh, for you, Devin, if you go to our website, calvarysa.com. Um, no, that's not true. Yeah, calvarysa.com. Um, uh, I've got commentaries written on uh, all the books that we've studied. We've been here for 27 years, so I've done most of the books. And I've got a lot of information from, from Genesis out there. Um, it's my own stuff. You can take it or leave it. But uh, a lot of time and a lot of hours of study have gotten into that. And like you, I love the Bible. And and uh, I, wanna, I want to be a workman, rightly dividing the Word of God. So if it helps you, it's all free. 
Uh, you don't have to spend the time to listen. You can just go through uh, the verse-by-verse uh, commentary on the chapters, and I think it can, can be uh, looked at pretty quickly and pretty conveniently. It is okay to study resources outside the Bible, of course, but you have to be careful. You have to be discerning. Um, one of the things with your curiosity, um, um, God will teach you discernment. Just prayerfully, Lord, I need to know what I can depend on, what I can't depend on, uh, and, and 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 the Holy Spirit will help you. He will He will make sure that your discernment begins to grow. Now, regarding Genesis chapter six, there's a question I haven't had it for a while, but I, I get this question quite frequently about who are these um, uh, sons of God and the daughters of men. Um, first of all, the, the, the term sons of God is used only to refer to angels, both good angels and fallen angels. That's the only use of them in all of the Bible. So you have to, expositional constancy or consistency requires that we, we recognize that the sons of God refer to angels, either fallen or faithful. And then the distinction, the contrast, daughters of men, that just refers to human um, girls, human women, those who were born uh, female, born to men. And in Genesis 1, now there's, there's a million different opinions about this, but I think it's pretty clear if you look at the passage. These fallen angels, evidently, in times past, uh, before the flood of Noah, um, there, there were there's certain category of fallen angels, so powerful, so um, incorrigible, um, that they did what they wanted to do. Now, clearly God's in control, and that's what the flood was all about. But uh, these were angels who were going in, fallen angels, who were trying to so pollute the human line that Jesus could never have come. You see, the, the enemy knew, Satan knew, that God had a plan of redemption, and he was doing everything he could to disrupt it. And if he could pollute the human line to the degree that it would be impossible for there to be anybody who was uh, in the lines that the, the Messiah needed to come from, um, they would have all disqualified themselves. So remember, Mary was a virgin. Uh, she loved God, and she'd remained faithful. Not perfect. She was a sinner, but but she remained faithful. And that's why a man couldn't be the father of Jesus. God had to be the father of Jesus. And in this particular case, um, these sons and daughters uh, were born to them. These are the men of renown, the Nephilim, uh, the giants. Uh, they, they were like superheroes in the ancient world. And they wreaked havoc. And so successful was Satan that um, God finally got to the point where he said I have to destroy everybody and he saved only Noah and his family God always has a remnant and he had to start the human race all over again. Now here's the problem with that and people are saying oh that's heresy Pastor Ron uh, angels can't reproduce evidently there were some angels who could um, we know for sure that when Jesus went into Sodom and Gomorrah in chapters 18 and 19 of Genesis um, there were, were uh, destroying angels, and they were human, 
They looked human. They weren't really human. They were angels, but they were inhuman in appearance. And clearly the men of Sodom uh, believed they could have sex with them. Uh, that's what they were trying to do. And um, uh, so, so these are just fallen angels that could take on the form of man and they would try to reproduce and their offspring were evil to the core. So um, they can't anymore. Those angels were told in Jude they've been uh, chained in a dungeon in the center of the earth uh, being reserved for the day of judgment. Uh, but they no longer have the freedom to go. God is corrected. But one family was reserved. Now, the reason, Genesis 6, the flood, um, if this were not true, then God badly overreached on his punishment of the world. I mean, you've got to realize the reason it's, it's in chapter 6 and the flood is in chapter 6 is because there's a connection between the two. And clearly, um, Devin, um, the two events are connected. And because they're connected, um, boy, God was either just, and we know that's the truth, or he was uh, completely throwing a hissy fit uh, because the, 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 the flood was an overreaction uh, if, in fact, these sons of God were not fallen angels. So I hope that makes sense to you. You keep studying. Let the Spirit lead and guide, but, but be really, really careful. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Henry Morris has some stuff. Um, uh, there's some really, really good stuff on Genesis out there for you. So good luck. God bless you. And believe me, Jesus uh, is pleased. 340-9585. Here is our next question. This one comes from Jonathan. Uh, oh, it's a sad one. He says, the honeymoon phase of my marriage seems to be over. Is there a way to get it back? Um Jonathan, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I have no details um, and don't know you, but but the honeymoon phase of a marriage, the same thing is true in our relationship with Jesus. Um, it should never, ever go away. Uh, our relationship with a husband and wife and our relationship with God ought to get more and more passionate. The longer that you're together, the more passionate your marriage ought to be. I can tell you uh, the way to get it back is to put Jesus Christ at the center of your relationship. Uh, you and your wife need to be in the Word together. You need to be involved in church together. You need to be equally yoked, and by that I mean equally committed to serving the Lord. Um, he ought to be your priority. And then his love, his passion will flow not only upon you, but through you to the other. And usually, Jonathan, when people say the honeymoon phase of my marriage is over, uh, it's because they haven't been diligent in working on their marriage. Uh, I do an awful lot of marriage counseling, Jonathan. And when I do marriage counseling and uh, a husband and a wife have nothing nice to say about each other or to each other, the, the relationship begins to get strained. Um, um, my first response to them usually is, okay, tell me about your prayer life together and tell me about your time in the Word of God together. And almost always, they'll look at one another and say, well, and I'll say, well, okay, you're not in the Word together, right? You're not praying together, right? Remember, passion 
zeal comes from Jesus. And so um, grieve for the honeymoon phase of your marriage. Then sit down with your wife and say, we need some help. And then, Jonathan, go to your pastor, go to your church, and ask him, how can I get it back? You need counseling. You need it now. And it's a lot more than just going to a few counseling sessions. you got to surrender to Jesus Christ. Your job. Jonathan, I was in a different church on this past Sunday, and I taught uh, the Song of Songs. In fact, you can go to our website, calvarysa.com, and my Bible studies on the Song of Songs uh, are on there for you. Listen to it together, you and your wife. Listen to it. And then let the Holy Spirit really, really deal with your heart. Uh, the church I was at on Sunday, the Lord had me uh, teach that. And I just, you know, normally I wouldn't teach that at another church. And yet the Lord says, I want you to tell them how much I love them, how crazy about them I am. And uh, the, 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 I thought the teaching went well. I thought that, that uh, it was a word that the Lord had for that particular church at that particular time. Um, and you've got to realize that that relationship between Solomon and the Shulamite is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is also a wonderful marriage guide. So physically, your relationship should grow in passion. Emotionally, it should grow in passion. Um, your job is to make your wife, and this is what I told the church on this past Sunday, your job is to make your wife feel like the most beautiful, most precious, most loved woman in the world. She needs to be safe, both physically and emotionally, in your arms. And uh, if you're doing your job uh, and she's seeking the Lord, uh, there's no reason that your marriage won't get that original passion back, but even greater than that. I was able to tell them, you know, when I first met Paula, now, Jonathan, that was 53 years ago, or, or in March, it'll be 53 years. When I first met Paula, she took my breath away. She absolutely took my breath away. And then I was able to say before the people at that church that she still does. After all this time, Paula still takes my breath away. That's what God will do in your marriage if you give him the chance to do it. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Sydney. Now, this could be a he or a she. So, any advice on selecting a partner and how can I be sure I choose the one God has for me? Um, Sydney, uh, you know, the idea that there's only one man or one woman that you that God has chosen for you, um, is misunderstood. Uh, the, the reality is that we can, all of us, fall in love with a whole bunch of different people. Right time, right environment. Um, there's a lot of really wonderful people out there. Um, the difference is God knows the one that you're going to choose. And because that's the one he knows you're going to choose, that's the one he chooses for you. Remember, foreknowledge is the basis for God's choosing. So, um, having said that, don't focus on one person. Focus on following Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, there's no way you can miss that one man or that one woman that God has for you. I mean, to think that, that if we're following Jesus, he said, my sheep know my voice, I call them by name, and they follow me. 
Sydney, if you think that Jesus would ask you to follow him, and then by following him, you would miss out, then you really don't understand your relationship with Jesus Christ. He's faithful. He loves you. And if you follow him, you can't miss that partner that God has for you. And you'll know when that man or that woman comes along. So follow Jesus. Let me also, more practically, thats it's not more practically, that's the most practical thing you can do. But people say, yeah, but give me real life experience counsel here. Um, make sure that the person that you are attracted to loves Jesus as much or more than you do. Um, watch them, um, even from a distance. I tell people all the time, there's no better place to find a spouse than church. And that kind of creeps people out. No, I don't go to church for that. I go, but, but why not? In church, you can see what somebody's heart is all about. You can see what their commitment to serving is. You can, can sort of watch them from a safe distance and really see who they are, not somebody trying to impress you, not somebody where you're swiping right, just somebody that you can say, okay, Lord, is that the one? Open the door. And um, you'll be attracted to that person. Um, you honor God in the relationship by staying physically pure. And you can't miss the one that God has for you, Sydney. So follow Jesus. Trust him. Don't take matters into your own hand. Don't get so lonely that you're going to just settle for the best man or woman that comes along. Wait for the one, and God, when he brings that man or that woman, you'll know it. You'll know it. I can't tell you how. He's not going to write you a letter or send you a text, but I promise you, you will know who that man or that woman is. Sydney, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Here is an anonymous question. My friend says she's saved, but continues to live with her boyfriend. How can I know for sure if she's saved? Uh, anonymous, you cannot know for sure if she's saved, but it's your responsibility because she's your friend. It's your responsibility to say to her, Christians can't live the way you're living. Sure, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, or 1 Corinthians 6. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And simply tell her, if you're really a Christian, you cannot live like this. If you continue to live like this, well, then the evidence would suggest that you're not really a Christian at all. And then leave it alone. Pray for them. Pray for your friend. Um, but you've told her. You've, you've delivered the message. Now the work has to be done by the Holy Spirit. It isn't necessary for you to know. Galatians chapter 6 says, God knows those who are his. God won't be mocked. So God knows. I know we want to know. We think we need to know. But we really don't need to know. Just pray for her. And, and ask the Holy Spirit to continue to open her eyes to spiritual things. And to open her heart. And uh, if, if uh, you'll do that, God will faithfully chase them uh, to the end of the earth. Um, we also need to be really careful about jumping to conclusions. I've told a story on this program. It's been a long, long time. But when I was uh, in Bible college, there was a guy that worked for my brother-in-law, uh, and he and I were friendly, and he used to ask me to get him Christian hats from the Bible college and all that all the time. 
And so I was getting him all these Christian T-shirts and Christian hats and, and bringing them to him. He was wearing them. And, and one day I was visiting him in the store where he worked. And uh, somebody made the comment that he wasn't married. He was living with a, a girl and they weren't married. And, and I said, his name was Mike. I said, Mike, are you kidding? All this time I've been bringing you Jesus hats and T-shirts and, and you've been talking about Jesus. And we've been kind of talking about God together. And, and you're living with somebody that you're not married to? And his face, his head just dropped down. You know, when, when uh, God told Cain, why are you so downcast? Um, that's how he was. And, and he said, um, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't. I said, Mike, how can you, seven years you've lived with this girl. Seven years. How can you live without guilt? And he stopped me right there. He said, Ron, I lived with guilt every day of my life. I know it's wrong. And I said, well, then you got to do what's right. Now, he didn't do what was right. Not for a long time. We moved to Texas, Paul and I did, and uh, many years later, uh, he contacted me and said, I just want you to know that I married her, and we, we've been blessed with another baby, and thank you for, for being faithful, but I had no peace at all for seven years while I was living with her, and you're the only one that pointed that out to me. So very important, um, don't judge her in terms of you're not saved, but you can judge her behavior and you owe it to your friend to tell her that that's not um, the behavior that a Christian can partake in. Thank you for the question. Last question of the day. Thomas, is there a limit as to how many times you can repent for the same sin? Um, Thomas, uh, no, there's no limit. That's, that's what's wonderful about grace. But let me say this. Um, we who are real believers, we shouldn't have to repent of the same sin over and over and over. If we're truly repentant, not just sorry, not just feeling guilty, if we're truly repentant, then we've got to be able to overcome that sin. It's that simple. So, Thomas, stop sinning. And you won't ever have to worry about this question. Just stop sinning. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That means that you have the authority living in you. You have the power in you to resist temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. So Thomas, when you feel the temptation, you've got to learn to say no. So you can say yes to Jesus. And that way, you don't have to keep saying, Okay, God, I blew it again. Please forgive me. Deal with sin. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Oh, yeah.